Welcome in. Good to have you. You know, last night was a fun night. Lions got a big win Monday night football against the Las Vegas Raiders, 26 to 14. And Lions rookie Jameer Gibbs had himself a coming out party. 189 all-purpose yards, 152 on the ground, had a touchdown. The Raiders, meanwhile, had just 206 yards of total offense through four quarters in an NFL game. I mean, that that is brutal. And, and it was never even 12 points close. Detroit was the better team by far, which was a good sign, I think, coming after that stinker out in Baltimore when they just couldn't get anything going against the Ravens. And and still, even last night, I mean, offensively, I think they were in the red zone five times, and I, they scored once. So that's, that's not good enough. But I think defensively is where the story was last night. I mean, there is just no doubt that the defense has gotten better and better over Dan Campbell's tenure as head coach and as Brad Holmes' tenure as general manager. They have put together a very good unit and still a lot of a lot of depth guys are playing and they're they're needing to step up because of different injuries and and they have and and even the the draft picks that Brad Holmes has has been able to uh, uh, cultivate have just been really good players it's a very exciting time so the lions 6 and 2 they go to a bye week which is a, probably a good time on their schedule Try to get a little bit healthy. Their their strength of schedule going forward is pretty soft. So uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, what wasn't fun, though, was in the middle of the game, news broke out of Oxford. And it was the long-awaited report, the circumstances, about what went wrong inside Oxford High School leading up to that shooting. Guidepost Solutions was the investigating entity that was hired begrudgingly by the school district after parents needed to become pretty vocal about getting an independent investigation. So what did the report find? It found that Superintendent Tim Thorne, former Superintendent Tim Throne, Assistant Superintendent Jill Lamond, Assistant Superintendent Denise Sweat, were most at fault for ignoring the signs that Ethan Crumbly was troubled and could possibly carry out an attack of the the manner in which he did. Investigators in that report say responsibility too often was denied and shifted elsewhere. It it really is an explosive report about how Crumbly was able to carry out the attack and and what what the district didn't do. We'll we'll talk about that more momentarily. Meanwhile, this situation involving Michigan football and the sign-stealing operation just took a very strange turn. Now, Central Michigan University says they're investigating whether Connor Stallions, who's the U of M football staffer at the heart of all of this, if he was on the sidelines during Michigan State and Central's game on September 1st to start the year. There is a photo circulating social media of a person who looks a lot like Connor Stallions wearing a Central Michigan hat, a Central Michigan shirt, and sunglasses. Amy Folan, the athletic director at Central, 
says they're in the process of determining the facts surrounding the allegations that Stallions was on the sidelines. Uh, Stallions graduated from Lake Orion, went to the U.S. Naval Academy. He's listed as an analytics analytics assistant to Michigan. I I have seen different reports. It's hard to really tell uh, exactly what happened here. But but this this took another strange turn that this this guy was on the field at Spartan Stadium as a Michigan staffer wearing Central Michigan gear. I mean this this is like uh this is like uh, if if 007 were to meet college football. Like this guy is now dressing up in in disguises. Uh, it is unbelievable. So we'll continue to follow that. Meanwhile, there are a number of representatives in Washington DC calling for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And now former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton says that a ceasefire would be a gift to the terrorist government. I want to play some audio here. Here's Hillary Clinton talking about why a ceasefire with Hamas and Israel just wouldn't work. Ceasefire now do not understand Hamas. That is not possible. It would be such a gift to Hamas because they would spend whatever time there was a ceasefire in effect rebuilding their uh, armaments, you know, creating stronger positions to be able to fend off uh, an eventual um, assault by the Israelis. So we're in a very different world. I don't think it had to be the world we're in, but that's where we are, and we've got to figure our way uh, forward through it. Account me as somebody who agrees with Hillary Clinton there. Uh, A ceasefire just makes zero sense because uh, newsflash, uh, terrorists don't play by this, the same game that everybody else does. So I, I tend to agree with Hillary Clinton there. Meanwhile, uh, I told you about that Oxford High School report. It's a 572-page report, third party, conducted by Guidepost Solutions. And it's concluded that Oxford High School shooting could have been prevented with proper training and it would have been further helped if guidelines have been in place. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne here with some of the details from that report. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. So at the core of this report, which was conducted by Guidepost Solutions, it found that the shooter, Ethan Crumley, was not identified as a threat because authorities at the school failed to recognize that his statements, his conducts, his drawings, they all suggested that he could cause physical harm to the school. Guidepost was hired to do this report in May of last year. You'll remember there was a lot of public pressure for this. And it found that at every level, the district failed to provide a safe, secure environment for students. The report, though, did not find intention or callousness or wanton indifference, but did note failure and responsibility by omission. The report also said that too often the responsibility was shifted elsewhere or even denied. The report named several individuals who bore most of the blame for failing to be proactive in handling the shooter. Number one, the former superintendent, Tim Thorne. His two assistant superintendents, a counselor, a dean of students, the Oxford High School principal, and guideposts singling out the former superintendent, Thorne, and his assistants and the school board for most of the blame for failing to have the threat assessment guidelines in place. The lack of the guidelines also falls at the feet of the board because, according to the report, the board authorized the superintendent to create those guidelines, but they never checked up to make sure they were actually 
implemented. The board also had not adopted a suicide intervention policy, and they say that was really critical, very important, because more than three-quarters of school shooters in the United States had previously uh, expressed suicidal thoughts, according to the investigators. Chris, members of the investigation team will visit the school, the high school, on Thursday. They plan to discuss this report in three sessions at 1.30, 3.30, and 6.30. And you can well imagine this is going to be a very tense time at the school. It's going to be tense. It's going to be emotional for the families of those lost, to the families of those hurt, and the families of those children that are going to be forever impacted by this because of of the due diligence not being done at the top, according to this report. I think it's incredibly sad. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. In the meantime, we'll get into this a little bit more. Todd Flood will join us coming up momentarily. Don't go anywhere. JR Afternoon right here on WJR. You know, I think this report kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand in what we've been talking about the last few days. When it comes to mass shootings in this country, We need to make sure we're following our protocols. Well, (laughs) even take a step back, we need to have the protocols in place. And that's something that the Guidepost report, I think, highlights. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I hate the fact that people lost their children over the fact that, according to the Guidepost report, there wasn't enough being done. There wasn't enough infrastructure in place to prevent this type of incident. But I'd love to get your thought from uh, on this particular matter, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Here's, in a nutshell, what this report says. I'll read a, a, a couple of quotes from it. Our independent investigation established that the shooter was not identified as a threat because individuals at Oxford High School failed to recognize on November 30th, 2021, that the shooter's conduct statements and drawings suggested that he might cause physical harm at the school. They also say, in short, responsibility too often was denied and shifted elsewhere. Taken together, when responsibility is everywhere else, it rests nowhere. And I think that's a pretty good way to sum up exactly the failures at Oxford High School. Uh, Todd Flood, attorney, joins us. Uh, Todd, it's good to have you. Obviously, you have been close to this story uh, for for uh, to far too long. And I'm just curious, Thanks. after this yeah. report, does is there a situation now where these folks, the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, everybody down to the counselor who was named in that report, is there an opening here for liability legally for these people now? Well, Chris, I am involved. Obviously, I represent one of the victims in the case, and we are in a civil case right now, both in the federal uh, courthouse and in the state courthouse. And I think this report buttresses the the culpability and the civil liability of gross negligence times 10. Um, Now, put five lawyers in a room and you'll get seven different opinions, but at the end of the day here, the, the fact uh, yeah, of the matter is you have to put all of the circumstances together. Who knew what? When did they know it? And what did they do about it? On the 29th, you got a counselor and a dean of students that have more information about this shooter, as they put it, to, to prevent. Now take it one step level uh, more. On the 30th, when they get more disturbing news, 
and they don't believe the shooter is a threat to himself or others. They when he when the shooter is interviewed, he goes, "Oh no, no, I'm not. You know, everything's fine." They don't believe him. They even testify to that. It's mandated, as you put it well, succinctly, uh, that they have to do certain steps. They must then, in turn, see if he has uh, uh, something to injure himself. Does he have a knife? Does he have a gun? You know what was in the backpack that they had possession of, that the dean of students has possession of? The gun and the bullets. They didn't, even though they knew he was lying, uh, they failed. Um, and this report points that out. Do, uh, do you feel that this is why there was so much um, reluctancy to, to hire an outside firm to conduct this investigation? Uh, you know, that's, uh, I, think, I think there's some uh, truth to that statement. I think there was reluctancy. I know I, have, I happen to know one of the authors in this case, uh, and uh, he is a... a very, very good and thorough investigator, uh, legally trained, and he did an amazing job, and he didn't hold any punches. Uh, I, I do have a problem with some of the things he said in the very beginning when he said there was a failures act. Actually, there were overt acts by certain administrators and teachers. Uh, I shouldn't say teachers, but administrators um, that they they did overt acts. They took it to a next level. It wasn't just a failure to act. They made um, emails, telephone calls, text messages, and um, in essence telling, you know, hey, no threat here. Well, that's, that's not the case. There was a threat. Uh, and so I, I, I have an issue with that. But the, the, bigger, the bigger thing here is to me, um, I, my hat's off to Karen McDonald because she worked, obviously, if you read the opening uh, in this, uh, they worked hand in hand with the prosecutor's office, got a lot of information, and they worked thoroughly through it. I think she's prosecuting the right people because the the parents in this particular case basically weaponized, gave this young man who was spiraling out of control a gun. We can argue about that all day. I'm, I'm not prosecuting bad parenting. I'm prosecuting the fact that they put my client along with others in peril. Mm -hmm. I think that's the right move. And it's a rarity, but I think it's the right move. And I, I compliment the, the guidepost for putting this together because my client, the Watson family, they want transparency. They want honesty. They want integrity. They would probably not even have sued even though their son was shot. Yeah. They probably would not have sued if there was transparency, honesty, and thoroughness to it. But the cover-up was too much there. And, and they even talk about it in this report. The reluctancy of, and not the reluctancy, the flat-out denial of being interviewed. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's incredibly telling. I, I think people at the top knew that not only were were they not creating the type of infrastructure that they needed to check a student like this, and that's that's different than not enforcing it. It's different than having it in place and not enforcing it. The fact that you didn't have the right protocols and procedures in place. I, I, that, to me, is where I think I would have the most difficult time as a parent. I, I do want to get your thoughts on another case as well. Um, the prosecution in Oakland County seems to indicate that Jennifer Crumbly has placed blame on, on James Crumbly in that particular 
case. I mean, we're, we're what, 11 weeks away from that trial as well. And, and they're saying that that even the the their their thoughts of going into this defense team as a as a team uh, with each other is is flawed and could potentially be be up in the air now that they're both of their attorneys don't work for the same law firm anymore. Is the prosecution trying to drive a wedge in between the parents here? Would that give the judge some some ability to to change their defense strategy? No, I think the prosecution has an ethical duty to make sure it's placed on the record by the defendants and the defense attorneys that they waive all conflicts. If you and I were defendants together, Chris, and we had two different attorneys, but our attorneys sat in on your communications, the ones you give, those confidential communications, mm-hmm. and then later on down the road, you said, hey, listen, I don't like where Flood's attorney's going. I want a, I want a different strategy. Well, wait a second. Blood's attorney has all my secrets. Yeah. Right. So that is paramount to a criminal defense. So I think you have to. It's ethical, uh, uh, an ethical obligation to make sure that there is no conflicts. And I always say uh, in front of a jury, hey, listen, this is not a team sport. An individual I represent, there may be four, five, six defendants up at this table over here. But I represent the one. It's not a team sport, right? You may find something different for this person than you do for this person. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I think you, you have to be uber cautious in this case um, because a lot of money, a lot of resources. Sure. You don't want to miss trial. You don't want to all of a sudden the last minute major league delay because you didn't cross your T's and dot your I's to, to, to secure a uh, a fair and just trial. I, so that's that's got to be done. I got, I got ten seconds left here. Thoughts on the attorney general ending the Flint Water case? No justice for my for my cohorts and friends in Flint. Yeah. No mercy either. You know, it's yeah. it's just uh, it's a tragic tragic situation. Yeah, uh, Todd Flood. Good to talk with you. Thank you for your time as always. Got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. You know, for me, I I, I think that. We all realized that once this report came out, it was going to be pretty obvious what what happened. I mean, the failures at the top were were obvious. I mean, the failures, even at a much lower level, like student counselors or folks like that, that that didn't do the right things. And whether or not they thought they were doing the right things, they really weren't because there was no infrastructure in place. That Ethan Crumbly was deteriorating mentally. There were obvious signs that he was deteriorating mentally. And he was, the the, the signs were there that he was going to do something catastrophic. Now that's that's easy to say in hindsight. But when you look at the drawings, when you look out the when you when you when you find out more, all of the all of the signs that were just glossed over, I, I to me I I find that to be most most troubling to accept now that a report has been put together. But this guidepost report is thorough. It is one that you know Todd. We just talked to Todd Flood, but he told the morning show uh, Jr. Morning that that this was a a comprehensive report. This is a treatise on 
everything we should know and learn uh, for schools and failures of schools and successes of schools going forward. This is, I think, um, really, really well written, well researched, uh, documented. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I'd love to get your thoughts on this because, you know, me as a parent or you as a grandparent, this is the worry. This is the worry that we are dropping our our children off to you so that you can teach them. And we are, as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, loved ones, we are expecting that you have every, you have your house in order. That if something arises, that you'll be able to tackle it head on. And in the case at Oxford, according to Guidepost, that just wasn't the case. Robert kicks us off in Roseville. What's up, Robert? Uh, not a lot. How you doing? I'm good. Um, there's something you need to know about schools, including colleges and uh, any school that has a principal in the state of Michigan. The principal has certain amount of law enforcement authority to order children to be taken off of school grounds. Mm-hmm. At least, at least that much authority. They have that written within the laws of the state of Michigan. I cannot quote them chapter and verse. I did, I'm I'm driving. Okay. So, but when she, when the principal told the parents, "You are taking your child home," and they said, "Oh no, we have appointments." The next words out of the principal's mouth should have been said, "Yeah," and they include taking your son out of here. Mm-hmm. Not all. Oh, well, just go ahead and pick up your backpack that nobody has checked and go on back to class. And the kid knows that he's not going to have any other opportunity to make a statement. Right. You know, I mean, so this principle abrogated their legal authority that they had started to enforce and then decided to just say, oh, no, I don't want to enforce. I don't want to be responsible for you know what, Robert? I'm you sorry. know, l- l- I want to get your thoughts on this because, again, to me, the 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 worst part in all of this, and yes, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of worse, I suppose. But the fact that the people at the top, the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, those are the folks that are tasked with setting these protocols. I mean, th- this suicide prevention protocol, this intervention policy, is ten years old. It's it's 12 years old now. At the time it was 10 years old. It was an it was a 2011 policy. That is not an updated policy. And and you're right. Obviously Steve Wolf, the principal at the time, bears responsibility too, but but to me the fact that you don't have you don't have your protocols and your your policies in order that and and that is what has allowed this incident to happen. And, and Robert, it's almost like a very blase approach to it. It's like, well, I thought my uh, assistant superintendents were taking care of it, or my associate superintendents were taking care of it. Oh, the principal will enforce it. Like it's 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 blind faith that something is being followed when really that should be top of mind to you as a superintendent. Is that fair? That is fair, but the problem I have with it is they get caught up because of all of the protocols and these are procedures and all that. They get lost in that minutia of recognizing the problem for what it is just because you can see it. 
and they're trying to think of all these protocols that apply. That's why most people who study psychology are really lousy psychologists, because the reason they took psychology is because they couldn't figure it out on their own in the first place. Yeah. Robert, I, you I understand. Yeah, now you of understand course, what I, sure. where I'm coming from. No, I, got, I, I understand what yeah. you're saying. And Robert, I appreciate the call. I just, you know, it's, it's tough because you don't want to come to the conclusion that this may have been preventable, right? This, it's not like, it's not like you, you didn't, it's not like you didn't know what to do. It's not like you didn't know what needed to be done. It's the fact that you didn't do it. It's the fact that you ignored every single obvious warning sign in that moment. And and again, I think you got to be careful about, you know, this idea of hindsight. But if somebody comes up to you with explicit drawings and 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 you look at it, it's going to be pretty clear that something needs to be done. And I'm with you. The idea of letting the parents say, well, we got things to do. We don't have time to take them to to see somebody or we, we, we don't have anywhere to put them today. That's not, that's not their problem. They are there to educate your children and they are there to protect your children. And in this case, they did not protect the children that day at Oxford high school. Nate's in new Haven. What's up, Nate? Yeah. Hey, um, I taught for gosh, nine years and, uh, my wife's actually a special ed teacher doesn't do it anymore. But one thing I can tell you is if you're working with a special education student, which I would assume Ethan Crumbly was an emotionally impaired student, you can't just suspend a child or make them leave, especially if they're acting out or doing something that relates to their disability. Uh, And I, I think that that's something that's really been unfairly avoided that no one's really looked and said well what were the limitations and you know what of course was the status of the student Nate uh, I, I but, don't I, at, the, at this point I don't believe that the status of Ethan Crumbly was anything other than a normal student like I don't think he had any special designation I don't think he was 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 receiving extra care for x y and z I I, I don't believe that there was any sort of additional attention paid to Ethan Crumbly. And I and I think that's part of the reason why eventually when they tried to get the student out of the school and the parents refused, I mean maybe that was a step in that direction of of finding you know not only what was wrong but then if there was something else that the school needed to do, but the the parents wouldn't take him that day and then they didn't force him to 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 take him. Yeah. I don't the only time I've ever seen a student be able to parent to refuse um, a suspension is if they were in fact, you know, receiving special services. But that's something I don't know if that's something you could ever check into. Sure. Him being a minor at the time and right. if you could look at it. Um, but it certainly would be nice to know. All right, Nate. Good stuff. Appreciate the call, man. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Northville. Hey, Aaron. Hi, Chris. Hi. I am wondering why you're extending grades to the school. I, I don't know mm. why I, I hear your callers, and I agree with them. I, I feel like you're why you keep saying, well, we don't want to say that it could have been prevented. It absolutely could have been prevented. Well, and look, I, I just, I, I here's why, here's, why, years, Aaron, here's why, here's why, Aaron, here's why I say that. 
it's because there are so many extenuating circumstances that I don't have control over. So all I can tell you is that the school did an awful job in having policies and procedures in place to protect the children at Oxford High School. They didn't do a they didn't do a good enough job of making Ethan's parents take him that day. And they ignored every warning sign, every obvious warning sign that this kid needed serious help. I don't know how I'm slow rolling this or being kind to the school district. I think they did a terrible job. Okay, but you keep saying I don't want it's dangerous to say that they didn't. It's not. They were 100 percent enough warnings. And I, I, I feel like they should be held accountable. My children did not attend public school, but there was like zero grace policy for any of those things. It was wonderful because if a kid had a problem, it was taken care of. Mm -hmm. And and I know the public school has to be a little more careful, but yeah, I, I, I do think they need to be held accountable. It was awful and it was preventable. I agree. Aaron, Aaron, I appreciate the call. I'm up against the break. Got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. Well, yesterday briefly told you about those safe rooms that are being put in schools around the country. Takes one person, you pull the handle, it opens up into a box. There's a doorway, you walk in, it locks from the inside, and and it's a safe room. It's a bulletproof room where in the event of an active shooter, uh, it would be able to protect those inside that classroom. It's a great idea, and I, I... I told you I was always skeptical about some of these changes to places like schools because it it feels so innocent that you would need these types of added security measures going into school. I never had those kind of worries or security. I didn't have that. And so it feels very just different. But I think in this day and age, I mean, I've changed my tune. I think if you want to put metal detectors in schools, great. I think if you want to put these safe rooms in your schools, great. If that's going to save lives, I I, I think it's something that schools and, quite frankly, uh, different businesses in our economy need to look at. Uh, Kevin Thomas is the founder of KT Security Solutions, and he joins us. Kevin, it's good to have you. Well, Mr. Chris, we appreciate you having us on. I know yesterday I kind of got hung up in the air, but. We're here today, and and we're grateful for the opportunity to talk about the razor. So, so talk to me about them. These these rapid access safe rooms. How did this idea come about? Um, actually, the, it was a an idea of my wife's. We already um, do rapid deployment housing units for the American military, and some of those require ballistic capabilities. So, we were familiar with the ballistic side of things, and when the incident in Uvalde happened last year in Texas. Um, after watching the news for a couple of days, my wife is like, why can't we take one of our housing units and put it into a classroom uh, to give them a place to go? And I was like, that is a fabulous idea, but I don't think they can give up that amount of square footage on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Let me think about this. And I was actually on the way to a, a military range day uh, just south of Washington, D.C. to showcase our housing unit uh, to some top brass out of the Pentagon that we were going to showcase that with. When I got there, I had thought about the idea of what my wife said, and I came up with the operational version that y'all see today, 
where it tucks into the corner of a classroom. You can use it for everyday classroom instruction because it has dry erase board material on the on the exterior of it. And you pull it out in time of need. It's there when you need it. It tucks away when you don't. Um, and it doesn't look obtrusive uh, or foreign to the classroom, right? It's It looks like it's just part of the classroom. So it doesn't give you that cold feeling that a lot of people worry about. Um, and so at the end of the day, basically my wife's the smart one. I just do what she says. <laughs> I think that's advice that we, we all follow uh, most of the time at least. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I think that, you know, Uvalde happened not long after Oxford happened uh, up here in Michigan. Um, and so okay. I, I think it's 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 a parallel that we're seeing uh, a need for here. Um, and I and, and I would even argue that that there's a need in other in other elements, right, in other businesses. Oh, I mean, look what just happened in Maine. I mean, you, you're telling me that you wouldn't benefit from one of these uh, being inside a bowling alley or a bar or a restaurant or or just being able to have that space if you need it, um, have you had have you had any uh, interest in other applications for this type of technology? We absolutely have. Not only from uh, other government agencies like U.S. embassies around the globe, um, but we've had it from hospitals, judges' chambers, lawyers' offices, um, corporate entities just in general that want to make their conference room possibly a safe room, just places for employees to be able to go in case something unexpected like this happens. And, you know, sadly, it's a, it's a, a sign of the times of, of what we're dealing with, regardless of how we got here, we're here. So we need to deal with it. And, and we like to kind of parallel this with the same situation we had um, that we started actually paying attention to in the mid 50s and that was fires in schools and fires in places and so we actually mandated the fire suppression systems once we got that figured out and now it's it's unthinkable to build a school or a or a public uh, use space without fire suppression systems right everybody's mm -hmm. got a sprinkler system mm -hmm. and you wouldn't even think about it but we don't have those fires anymore in schools as a result and and, and they're there just in case, but we have now built our buildings to make sure that those are not um, not a prevalent thing that's going to happen on the daily, right? So it did its job, and, and I see our razor room, um, if it's in classrooms or if it's in these places, then, then people that may target these types of vulnerable places now will see them as less vulnerable, and we can remove them from the soft target list. Um, and and that's the goal for me. If I can send somebody home tonight for dinner um, after a situation like this, then I consider this whole venture uh, a successful one. So you've got other government projects that that you work with on KT Security Solutions, but but in terms of going into this frontier, how often do you tap your wife's uh, thought process here to uh, to to come up with more ideas like this to potentially save lives in this manner? Hello? Okay. Hey, sorry about that, Kevin. There we, you go. Yep, we got you. Okay, yeah, that wasn't me. That was my wife leaving in her vehicle, and it picked it up. <laughs> uh, so, what else are you working on in this in this space? We also layer our razors with uh, shooter detection systems, which is the only Department of Homeland Security approved shot detection system that that we couple with our razor that goes throughout the school or the public entity in which we put these in and it 
it alerts you kind of like an amber alert. To, it goes out to everybody that is on that list that is supposed to receive this information in real time. And in under one second, we can pinpoint where the shots are fired on that location, whether it's, you know, one end of campus or the other, the third floor, the first floor, or the 15th floor. And we let you know so you can make an educated decision mm -hmm. on how to how to do what you need to do. Do you need to shelter in place? If you shelter in place, we have the razor. If we know that we're three floors away from that or at the other end of campus, we know that we can evacuate. So we're making educated decisions instead of a guess and hoping for the best because mm. we just don't believe in that. And and so we want to put our best foot forward when it comes to um, making sure that they have all the information they need to make the right decision to be able to keep our students, our educators, or, or in the business world, you know, we, we keep all of our people safe. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. Uh, Kevin Thomas with KT Security Solutions. Uh, they've got the Razor, the Rapid Access Safe Room. Uh, it's a wonderful idea to try to keep a lot of people safe. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having us. Yep, we'll talk again uh, soon. Um, well, we've got to take a break. More coming up next on JR After. What was the last Monday night football game? It was 2015, I believe, against the Bears. So almost 10 years ago, and I remember that game very well. It was a raucous Ford field. And that scene has become almost the norm with this Lions team this year. But last night, Monday night football, the A broadcast team was in town, and it was a fun night. Lions get the win, 26-14, to 14, and it wasn't even that close. I mean, the Lions did not play a very good game offensively. Josh Reynolds had a fumble. Uh, Jared Goff threw a pick six, 75 yards to the house. And uh, there was another fumble by the goal line by by Craig Reynolds that was very questionable. I thought a terrible call by the referees, but nonetheless, it was ruled a turnover. They reviewed it. There was nothing to really show that you could overturn it. So the call on the field is what they were going to go with. And, and the Lions did not play very well. They really didn't. We'll talk to Steve Courtney coming up at uh, 348. But... The fact that they didn't play well on offense, I think, shines a light on how well they did play defensively. I mean, it was a clinic. The Raiders had 206 total yards of offense. I mean, that is staggering. <laughs> that That is staggering. And the Lions just continue to pump out really good, really good defensive performances. Is that true? All right, hold on. I got some breaking news on the Lions. I got it. Uh, Brian, uh, do me a favor. Search uh, uh, Lions trades. I believe the Lions just made a deal. Uh, hold on. I got to find it real quick. Uh, the Lions, according to Jeremy Fowler, are trading for wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones, the former Michigan Wolverine product. And this isn't, I, I don't know if this is, oh, look, trade deadline is today. Um, I don't know that this is more of a, I believe, a replacement for Marvin Jones, who left the team to go handle family matters. Um, I, you know, certainly going back to Donovan Peoples-Jones' career at Michigan, even his early career in, in Cleveland, he was able to, to stretch the field a little bit. He doesn't have... Jamison Williams type of speed, but a, a, a decent option, probably a, a, a fourth option going forward. But Jamison Williams has been 
not good uh, this year. When Since he's been back from suspension, which has only been a few games, but he's had a couple very catchable passes that he's dropped, had the long touchdown pass uh, two weeks ago, but uh, he, he's been a little bit of a disappointment. And so the Lions needing some help uh, on receiver, and they go out and get Donovan Peoples-Jones from the Browns. Is there, uh, I don't see, was there a, a compensation? No, we don't know that yet. All right, so we're going to continue to look for that. But the Lions, big win last night. They're 6-2 and two heading into the break. And, look, things are looking up. The schedule lightens up. I think it's going to be a very fun rest of the year. But they got to take care of business, and the Lions now getting active on the trade market trading for Donovan Peoples-Jones. A little bit of breaking news there for you. Um, in the meantime, during the game last night, the Guidepost Solutions report into the circumstances about the Oxford High School shooting was released. And much of the blame goes to the top, the top brass, the super, former superintendent, assistant superintendents, were, they say, at fault most for ignoring signs that Ethan Crumbly was troubled and that he could carry out a possible deadly attack at that facility. Investigators also said that responsibility too often was denied and shifted elsewhere. Taken together when responsibility elsewhere rests elsewhere, it rests nowhere. I think it's a very powerful statement. And it's a, it is a report that I would imagine comes as both some potentially closure for, for families as they don't have to wonder anymore. And also uh, an incredible deal of anger, frustration that the school didn't do their job. They didn't hold their end of, of the bargain up, at least when it came to protecting students. When, it, when, when, when you drop your children off at school, they are in charge. And when it was now obvious that they didn't do enough on that, on that part, on that front. Um. Meanwhile, another crazy turn in this Michigan football sign-stealing story. So the guy who's at the heart of this is, a, is an analytic staffer, Connor Stallions. He's suspended with pay by the university. But now Central Michigan University is investigating because there were pictures that surfaced online last night that Connor Stallions was on the sideline with Central Michigan football officials during the Michigan State game on September 1st at Spartan Stadium. I'm not kidding. The pictures showed an alleged Connor Stallions in a Central Michigan hat, a Central Michigan shirt, and sunglasses. And now Amy Folan, the athletic director at Central Michigan, says they're in the process of determining the facts surrounding the allegations that it was indeed Stallions on the sidelines of that game. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable who this guy is. This is somebody who grew up in Lake Orion, uh, graduated and attended the U.S. Naval Academy, and uh, was the one who created the Michigan Manifesto, some 500 pages of ways that he was going to take over the Michigan football team, be the head coach there. Um, But this story just keeps getting wilder and wilder and wilder, and the NCAA continues their investigation. Uh, In the meantime, some employees at the nation's largest drugstore chains are staging walkouts this week. Why? They're demanding that companies that they work for fix the employees uh, with the fixes that they're asking for, working conditions, make that better, uh, and fix things that make it harder for them to safely fill prescriptions. 
We talked about it last week here on JR Afternoon, and WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne returns with more details on that front. Good afternoon, Marie. And Chris, this is something that could essentially affect all of us because we all get prescriptions filled. Walgreens and CVS employees are mostly not unionized, which makes it very hard to organize a large-scale walkout. But there are reports of walkouts around the country this week. Workers at Walgreens and CVS have previously staged walkouts in Arizona, Washington, Massachusetts, and in Oregon in September and early October Those walkouts also closed pharmacies. Many workers said they're afraid of staging any kind of walkout because of company reprisals. Organizers say they want the walkouts to build until Wednesday when a large group plans to stage a demonstration outside of the Walgreens headquarters in Chicago. And one Michigan-based registered pharmacist is telling CNN she resigned her job this week in sympathy with this movement she said she'd worked as a pharmacist for 35 years decided to leave Walgreens after seven years over a number of problems including the refusal of the store to give her sick leave severe uh, understaffing and no lunch breaks even while she worked a 14-hour shift alone There is a shortage of pharmacists like we talked about before. A few people are choosing to go into the profession. Many report severe understaffing but still being required to fill prescriptions, hundreds by the way, every day, administer vaccinations, answer customer questions via phone, online, and in person. Workers say they are forced to meet quotas on the number of prescriptions filled per hour or the vaccines administered per day, or even time to answer the phone. And they say management does not recognize that there's a pharmacist-patient relationship, and it's not transactional. It's actually a relationship. Representatives with Walgreens and CVS say that they are not seeing much disruption in service so far this week. And one last thing, a GoFundMe page initially started to help the the unionization efforts is now actually going to help some of the people that have walked off their jobs this week. We don't have a clear number right now, Chris, of how many workers have walked off the job. We are getting uh, sporadic reports that there are people that have walked off the job. Yeah, I haven't. I wasn't able to find if any uh, uh, Michigan uh, stores, if any of these locations in Michigan were affected. Um, I did reach out to the Michigan Independent Pharmacy Association. You're dealing kind of with mom and pops and and individual locations. Um, We're ready to hear from them because I wonder that if if we do see locations like Walgreens and Rite Aid and CVS is here. Do people look to smaller pharmacies to try to get their prescriptions filled? I, I, I think that's a question we're going to have to find out. Right there, sadly, there aren't too many of them. That's no, what not the, the issue is. That <laughs> yeah, the big that these big guys came in and moved a lot of those small mom and pop operations out. So that's the other problem we're faced with. Yeah. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. The breaking news regarding your Detroit Lions is we got a trade. Trade deadline is today. Is it 4 o'clock? 4 o'clock is the deadline today, right? 4 o'clock. And we've got a deal. Donovan Peoples-Jones is coming home. Yes, Donovan Peoples-Jones played his college ball at the University of Michigan, and he's a Detroit guy. Born in Detroit, went to Cass Tech, 
Uh, this is somebody who, if I remember right, when he was at Michigan, wanted to be a doctor after his playing career. Uh, a, a really good kid, really good player. Uh, if you look at his stats from this year, it's not very good through seven games uh, that he's played in. Uh, he's got eight catches for 18 yards. Uh, excuse me, uh, eight catches on 18 targets for 97 yards this year. Last year was was kind of his breakout year. He had 61 catches for 839 yards and three touchdowns. Was was much more of a of an integral part of that Cleveland offense. And and now he's coming to Detroit for what, you ask? A sixth round pick in 2025. So really you're giving up very little. And I think if you read between the tea leaves a little bit, maybe Brad Holmes likes what he sees in this draft coming up in 2024. So the 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 draft not this year in Detroit, the year after is when Cleveland will have that Detroit six-round pick. So just a little breaking news as the NFL is in trade deadline today. Lions improve their receiving core. And I, I think if you watch last night, uh, any sort of help catching the ball is probably going to be a good thing. So Donovan Peoples-Jones coming home to Detroit p- to play for his uh, hometown Lions. Um, I, I do want to uh, squeeze in a call here because we were talking about the the Oxford report that was released today by guidepost solutions and and it in a nutshell said that those at the very top the superintendent the assistant superintendent the principal they didn't do what they needed to do and there really was a a lack of understanding of what everybody should be doing because there weren't proper procedures and protocols in place and when it came to identifying a problem, they, some did. Ethan Crumbly's teacher knew that there was a problem based on the drawings, based on the searching of bullets in class. Like all of, all of those things, there were clear signs that, that this, this student was troubled. And at the end of the day, they didn't do enough to protect the school, everybody else in the school. And I think that that's a very hard situation for the parents of those at Oxford High School have to have to deal with. 800-859-0957. Charlie is in Clarkston. Hello, Charlie. Hey, guys. I happen to have a personal experience. My wife was a double master's. She spoke. She taught emotionally impaired children. And I can't mention the school. No. She has since passed away, but we had conversation after conversation. We had good kids on our boat. We would take them out emotionally impaired. And I can tell you this, there was no doubt that this kid was giving off the necessary uh, guys, guidelines to get him out of the system and get him help. Mm-hmm. The reason that it wasn't done, the school system has a problem with looking bad. It either is partially the fault of the system, or it could have been the union, but I can tell you right now, they knew this kid was a problem. They deliberately tried to hide it. 
They didn't well, know and Charlie, I don't, people, I don't, but yeah, they knew yeah, right. he was a problem. Uh, they have to go to prison. I'm not entirely sure that I would even, I mean, to me, I don't know that if they knew long term he had a problem, but in that, in those days leading up, it was apparent that there was something, there was something wrong. And as, as a, as a district, as a school district, you have to have policies in place. You know, if you, if you, if a telemarketer calls you and they say, do you need topsoil? And you say, no, I don't need topsoil. Well, they have a response for that. And if you say, no, I I have, I don't, I'm good. I don't, you know, I don't use topsoil. I use this. Well, here's why you need you. The school didn't have that script. They didn't have those answers to all of those questions or statements. Because what should have happened when the counselor said, you got to take your kid out of school and go get him some, some help, medical attention from a professional. And the parents said, no, we're too busy. That's not our problem if you're too busy. Our problem is that he can't be here anymore and we have a school full of kids that we are also looking after. So you, it doesn't matter to us how busy you are. That is your problem to deal with your schedule. And so when when those policies and procedures aren't in place, that you just assume, everybody assumed. The superintendent assumed that the assistant superintendents were, were looking into it. The superintendents assumed that those policies were in place. And when everybody just assumes that everything's there and everybody's following it, people fall through the cracks. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. This isn't something that I, I imagine that the, that the parents weren't onto or aware of. I mean, we've been talking about it for, for years here, almost two years. The, the signs that we saw in the media that there were obviously gaps in the fence and there weren't there wasn't anything to repair those those holes. And so while I believe that this is probably a pretty tough day for those families in Oxford, I don't know that it's surprising. I don't know that it's something that completely caught them off guard. I think it's probably um more validating their initial thoughts in the aftermath of that shooting. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Uh, today is Halloween. Uh, Brian, do you pass out candy? Do you go out? Where, where, what are you, what, what's the fair you that you give out? You ask still trick or treat? Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know. You don't, free candy's free candy. Right. Man. Awful big what, for a 10-year-old. What do you? <laughs> hey, leave me alone. Just give me my, give me a candy. <laughs> what do you, uh, what, what do you hand out at the Morton residence? Do you hand anything out? We don't get a lot of kids at our house. Mm. We didn't, so I, we don't usually put by candy because then yeah. grandpa, grandpa sits in the chair and eats right, candy and goes, candy. wish those kids would come by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we usually, if we do, I like what I brought in today, 100 grand bars, baby Ruth. Now, the, the question is, do you give out full size or do you give out the little ones? Danielle gives out full size candy bars at her house. Ah. Funny. Do you give candy out? Uh, I live in a trailer park. They don't really trick or treat there. Oh, wow. why? Uh, I don't know. Okay, there are a lot of kids, but they don't trick or treat. I think they take them elsewhere. All right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. We don't get any kids either, and I've got two little kids, so we go out. Um, I don't do the bowl thing, but I know some people do, and that's cool. 
Um, but there is another story that I want to talk about coming up. Jerry Afternoon, can I help you? Uh, uh, and it's it's about these urban myths about Halloween candy. You know, uh, the, 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 the needle in the candy apple. That's not an urban yeah, myth, I'll tell you that. Well, according to the story in the Washington Post, it is, and we'll talk about it coming up. Apparently, Danielle has real-world experience. Oh, my. All right, that's next on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. And that's what I was waiting for. Very good. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. All right, I want to get to the Halloween story just momentarily. Uh, Danielle apparently is eating uh, needles. We'll get to that uh, coming up here in just a second. Um, but this this situation involving pharmacists walking out is one I, I imagine is going to be uh, pretty impactful to a lot of communities and, and may very well impact you if you get your, your your medication from some of these locations. I don't think we've had any in Michigan yet walkouts, but it's not to say that it, it wouldn't happen yet. And the idea here is that employees at places like CVS, like Walgreens, say that their working conditions aren't good. It's making them, it, it's hard for them to fill prescriptions safely. And it's putting the health of customers at risk, and they're trying to do something about it. The problem is, is they're not unionized. So when they walk out, it is incredibly difficult to deal with. Dr. Susan Davis is an associate dean of pharmacy at Wayne State University and joins us. Doctor, good to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. How big of a problem is this? It's a great question. Uh, I think, as you said, I haven't heard of walkouts locally here in Michigan, but I have heard from our community pharmacy colleagues that this is a very big problem. Uh, The walkouts were announced and communicated mostly via social media with that catchy title, Farmageddon. Uh, And this is after some walkouts in specific communities early in the year. And it's it's really making national attention. Uh, is, Is it possible that something like this could happen in Michigan? It's absolutely possible. I I think um, what we have to remember is these pharmacists, as you said, are not walking out because of their own pay. They're stressing that they need more pharmacists and technicians working behind the counter for the sake of patient safety. And pharmacists here in Michigan have those concerns. And that's something that that you guys at Wayne State uh, take a lot of pride in. There is, I think, a a number of programs uh, that you partake in to to send, you know, student pharmacists uh, on the job to learn. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a standard part of pharmacy education that our students spend a lot of time in the practice setting, both in communities and in hospitals. So it's important to our educational program that there are stable and safe environments for our students to train. But more importantly, it's important that there are safe places where pharmacists can practice to serve the community. If you think about it, that pharmacist is legally and ethically responsible for everything that happens in the pharmacy. That means filling and verifying prescriptions, identifying problems with those, communicating with physicians and insurance companies to fix the issues, answering patient questions, answering the phone that never stops ringing, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and managing inventory, in some pharmacies, if they don't have a technician, they're doing all of that alone. And in, in pharmacies that are busy, they don't have enough technicians. So those are the big issues that these pharmacists are talking about. Have the you other were, thing... Oh, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I mean, the other thing is it's vaccine season. Vaccines are given year-round, but right now we're, we're in a, a peak season for influenza as well as COVID boosters and, and new RSV vaccines. And it's great that pharmacies have become vaccination hubs, but a lot of that shift in the work to pharmacies has happened without an increase in staffing support. So right now this is even harder for pharmacists than usual. You know, we've seen a huge dip in numbers uh, in the workforce in uh, education, teachers, uh, certainly in nursing. It, it continues to be a problem. Are you still seeing robust numbers uh, in in pharmacy or are you seeing a dip there as well? I mean, how difficult is it and how real are these problems that these pharmacists are facing? Yeah, we've been seeing a dip not only in the workforce, but in applications to pharmacy programs across the country. And that's been happening for years. We have pharmacists who are leaving the practice and going to other industries, going to more entrepreneurial things, because the workload in the workforce has changed quite a bit in the past few years. So we are seeing that. And with the decrease in number of students coming to pharmacy programs, there will be a pharmacy shortage uh, in in the near future unless something drastic changes. Well, and that can really cause a lot of trouble for a lot of different folks, especially if you need medication in a timely manner. And, you know, I I imagine that if you don't have enough pharmacists, you start to consolidate. It becomes harder uh, in a lot of cases to get a lot of medication. That is exactly true. We are seeing that pharmacists, having been the most accessible healthcare professional in the country for years, we're at risk for that no longer being the case. Uh, pharmacies are closing, they're decreasing hours, and that lack of access to that healthcare professional is going to have deep consequences for a lot of patients and communities where the pharmacist is their primary care source. Mm. Yeah. Well, it continues to be an issue and one that I know that you'll stay on top of uh, for us. And maybe we'll talk again very soon. Dr. Susan Davis, thank you so much. Yeah, have a great day. Thank yeah, you, you do the same. Uh, 800-859-0957. It, it may not be a problem now, but it, it very well could be. And again, this isn't scare tactics. I think it's I think it's something that we need to continue to watch because if you need medication, whatever it is, uh, whether it's something immediate, whether it's something long term, uh, and and your pharmacist is is out of commission because they're walking out. It's a problem. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to watch this for you. 800-859-0957. I, I mentioned this story in the Washington Post that a lot of these stories that you hear, drug-laced candy, razor blades, uh, needles inside candy, are, are a little sensationalized and maybe even to some extent urban urban legend or urban myths. And Danielle, you, you said... That you have a story <laughs> that this this brought to mind? What what happened? My mother told me this. Actually, okay. Like three weeks ago. Oh. She had actually heard it somewhere else. And she started freaking out because it is not an urban myth. Because my grandma and my grandpa found a needle in her candy. Now, my mom has five brothers and a sister. So what my grandma did was called the police and said, hey, we found a needle in the candy. They had to gather up six kids worth of candy and they took it all down to the police station they had to put it through the <gasps> the scanner oh my gosh are you serious i swear i swear to god so here's the the other thing i i, I do wonder because you know this story in the washington post talks about you know it, it, basically things that were reported on i do wonder how much of this actually gets reported how much it actually gets reported. If you find something in candy, and maybe it's it's really nefarious, like a needle, you're going to 
you're going to report that. But if it's something, I don't know what would be not nefarious in candy, candy that somebody put there. But maybe you don't report it. I don't know. There are a lot of stories. Like this This. this story talks a lot about a teenager who was hospitalized after Halloween eating a cupcake. And they said that there were it was laced with drugs and he overdosed. But he later overdosed, uh, later admitted to overdosing on prescription medication that was not in the cupcake. There were also stories about uh, another kid uh, being laced with heroin. But later found out that the parents ditched their heroin inside their kid's Halloween basket uh, in an effort to avoid police. So (laughs) nobody gave him the heroin. The parents put, which is just horrific in and of itself. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that's the best story I've ever heard. I stays our heroin. Quick, shove it in the Halloween candy. Put it in... (laughs) Put it in, Put Timmy's, in Timmy's bag. bag. Yeah. It'll never, they'll, they'll never, never think it was there. us. Why is Timmy acting so funny? I don't know. He's just eating Halloween oh candy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Some people, I swear to God, it's just, it's horrific. Uh, Bob's in Allentown. What's up, Bob? Hey, Chris. Hey, what's I up? I just wanted to tell you, it is not a myth. I used to work in the ER at a hospital uh, back in the 70s, late 70s. Uh, in uh, Madison Heights, Michigan. And we did candy checks every Halloween uh, for several years. And we did, in fact, find things like sewing needles and razor blades in some of the candy. wasn't very oh. often, but, and it wasn't every year. But I would say probably out of the maybe... I'm not sure how long we we did it, but there were more. It was more than one one year occasion. Sure, that we would find stuff. Uh, I mean, that's horrific. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt it happens. I mean, there there is there is no doubt that it happens. I just wonder how widespread it is. I can't imagine it's as widespread as most people think. I think it's one of those things where you almost you almost inflate it in your mind, like it's it it has to be. A, a, a widespread problem. Somebody out there is just putting needles in their Snickers bar when they hand them out. I just, it, it has to happen. I can't imagine it happens widespread. Bob, I appreciate the call. Real quick, Carl in Brighton. Hey, Carl. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's up? Well, I was calling about this pharmacy crisis. Yeah. My wife works for CVS, and they don't give them any breaks. They'd rather pay the penalty for not giving them breaks. They never have enough technicians. They're giving out shots. Flu season just kills them because they don't have the help. Mm. It's crazy. And she works in the pharmacy? She works at a pharmacy. It, uh, she used to work for Target. Target sold mm-hmm. all their pharmacies to CVS. And Target was a great place to work, but CVS has just turned that into a slave camp. Well, what, what does she say about these walkouts? Well, she's not in the walkouts. Uh, I just told her about it because I heard it on the news. She didn't even know okay. about it at work. Okay. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be more of a problem. And if it's, you know, if it's as strenuous as, as you say it is, I, I can't imagine it's going to stop in just a few states at a few different locations. Carl, appreciate the call. Got to take a break. All right, Lions with a big, big win last night. They're on the bye. They're making trades ahead of the... Deadline, which is exactly 10 minutes away, and we get... 
to celebrate with one Stephen Reginald Courtney. Hello, Stevie. <laughs> What's, hey, Chris, you sound a little excited there, lad. Good for you. It was a good huh? night. It was a good night. It sure was. This conversation brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field. Yes, you know, the W's are stacking up. And how about those winged wheelers playing respectable hockey on the ice? My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Uh, yeah, the NFL trade deadline expiring in about nine minutes from right now. The Lions are involved in a mood, but let's take in uh, what went down last night. Uh, nice coming out party for running back Jameer Gibbs. Eh, Chris running for a season-high 152 yards and a touchdown. Uh, as a matter of fact, during the uh, Monday night broadcast last night with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Brad Holmes, Lions general manager, getting a lot of love with this uh, 2023 draft class. Huh? Yeah, you had uh, Jameer Gibbs doing his thing. Sam Laporta, eight receptions, 57 yards, a touchdown. Linebacker Jack Campbell, four tackles. Defensive back Brian Branch, six tackles. Uh, it was something to behold. The bottom line is this. The Lions at 6-2. and two. They are also undefeated, 3-0 and oh, in prime time. What do you think of that? It's huge. It is absolutely huge. And and here's the thing is they played their C-minus game last night. Like, they were not offensively five trips to the red zone, one touchdown. Uh, the, the pick six was so unlike Jared Goff. A couple of fumbles. Again, they just didn't play well offensively. Defensively, boy, oh, boy, that, that unit looks better and better almost every week, save for, for that trip to Baltimore. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, you feel really, really good for defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. You go back to the one and six start a year ago, just about exactly a year ago, and uh, a lot of folks wanted him out. Uh, Dan Campbell stuck to the fight, and uh, last night, for example, six sacks on the night. How about linebacker Alex Anzalone? Huh? He's playing he, great football. Is he getting the job done? A couple of sacks for him and uh, Ali McNeil. Slimmed down. He's lost like 33% body fat. I wish we could all say that, but uh, it's showing up in what he's doing on the field. A couple of sacks for him as well. Uh, Let's get to the deal in the time we have there, young Chris. Uh, The Lions getting together with the Cleveland Browns. A little bit of a homecoming here. They acquire wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yes, the same one that went to the University of Michigan. He was a sixth-round pick out of that university in 2020. Peoples-Jones right now, eight receptions, 97 yards this season. Uh, He also went to Detroit Cast Tech. So if you're Donovan Peoples-Jones, couldn't work out any better uh, wearing the Honolulu blue and silver and one of the great times to be a Lion in a long, long time. Yeah, he's coming in at a good time. Ken Brown comes in here. High stepping to to the cast tech uh, fight song. Another cast tech stars. Look at you, Kenny. Me and and funny thing, me and his mother graduated high school. Same. I just saw. Oh, did you? I see all the time. Does he still want to be a doctor? I'm not sure. Wasn't that his thing? Yeah, uh, because his father's a doctor. Yeah, he wanted to be a doctor after his career. Right, right. Smart kid. Hey, uh, Kenny, uh, promise me the first time you and uh, Peoples Jones do the secret cast tech handshake. Recorded for me, would you? I'd like to see that. Same. Sure. Uh, look, everybody can't go to the green and white place, okay? Right. Everybody can't go. 
That's fair. That's fair. I couldn't do it. I couldn't hang. Uh, Steven, it was a fun night. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. Looking forward to it, Chris. Kenny, I'll see you tomorrow, laddie. All righty. Uh, hi. I'm disappointed. Nice to see though. you. I'm Why are you disappointed? I, Chase Young for a third-round pick. Sweat for a second-round oh, pick. A, a defensive end <laughs> would have been nice to have. And there's still a few minutes left. they got six minutes a left. A few minutes left. Under six minutes But left. I would like to have seen them bolster one more defensive spot because you can go for it now. We see now that they can win this whole thing. Oh, now. Well, they can win. The, You've been calling me crazy for weeks. Yeah, but they still have a couple pieces missing, and they're young. But if you get a chance to go for it, because football is an injury sport. You don't know who's going to be healthy next totally. year. Look at last night. Should they have won a game with three interior linemen not playing? That was a game you you never should win. That no. shows how good they are. No. And it shows you all of the depth that they've built, all of the talent that they've they've accumulated their talent the right way. They've done it right, right. and they are winning football games. I I don't think that there's any doubt that this team can finish first in the NFC, host a couple of playoff games, and make it to the Super Bowl. I know it's crazy. It is ludicrous to think about. It could happen. It could happen. But it could happen. It could happen. They have that talent. They should reinforce. I mean, give up. I don't keep your first-round pick, but anything else to me is – can I tell you what I noticed most about last night? Was it? You know, you've got Sorsdahl starting on the offensive line. Graham mm-hmm. Glasgow was at center in for Frank Rag. Now, like that was a was a real kind of piecemealed offensive line, and you could tell the difference from last night's line to going back to week two, three, four. It it was an obvious difference. Jared Goff did not have the type of pocket. He did not have the type of time that he's had. You mean last night he did? Yes. It's different. It's Their play be, action game was different. different. But it got better it as the different. game went on. It it's did. just that you got to play together. You know, you can't just throw three guys out but there and that's expect how, them to play together. that's how important it is to have really good offensive line. You know how many games they've had? That's what separates had. those teams from everybody else. You know how many games they've had their starting offensive line together One. this year? One. first game. Yeah. That was it. Well, and, and, None and Decker year. didn't even play in the first game. Yeah, he played in the first game. Oh, they did all he played play in the first game? game and okay. that was it. One game, the first game, the Kansas City game. That was it. Yeah, it 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 is something that, I, and again, I think the bye week comes at a right time right. for them. Try to and on. just remember, Max Crosby was the second best player on the field last night. And he went to Eastern Michigan University. I got them all coming today, baby. The Eastern people, the Cass people. They're just getting together this is awful. to form. This is awful. The mega powers. Just having a really nice day. The mega powers. What are we doing today? <laughs> We're talking to Alex Anzalone. We'll be talking to him in a little okay. while. Two sack guy last night. Huge night. Signed up with us. He becomes a superstar. Yep. And we're also going to talk to a rabbi who's saying that Harvard's having a problem with anti-Semitism. Harvard and everybody else. Well, we're going to talk about Harvard today. We're going to start at the top and work I, our way down. Good. I hope right, you We're going to break them all down. Because it's a problem everywhere. That's right. Till we get to junior middle uh, high uh, over uh, We're going to uh, talk uh, about uh, everybody. What was it? At, at uh, New York City University? Kids yeah. locked in Wasn't a library? Columbia or something? Columbia yeah. today? It's, it, yeah. it's, a, it's unbelievable. I'm off a ban in the Ivy League. From What? From anything, just get rid of just, We don't just, need them anymore. Just tank it? You don't need them. Yeah, I mean, Look at all the Ivy League guys in politics. They're all terrible. We don't need what them is anymore. That, uh, this is Kai Kenny Broadbrush. <laughs> nice to meet you. Good God. All right, Mitch Album and the crew coming up next. It's going to do it for, for me. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good one.